Okay, back on this Wednesday afternoon, and that means it's time to talk to vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, to run down the latest COVID headlines. She, of course, joins us at this time each and every Wednesday. Dr. Gorfinkel, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. Okay, we were just talking with the head of the Thames Valley School Board in London about this growing pushback when it comes to dropping the masking mandate in classrooms starting next week, immediately after March break. I know you and I touched on this uh, last week, but uh, where are you on this? Uh, If I recall last week, you were saying it would maybe be prudent. It would be best to wait another couple of weeks after March break. I'm not nearly as gentle at this point. The hairs on my back are practically bristling. And why is that? First, there is the very real threat of long COVID. And not just in the students, but in the teachers as well. You know, wastewater signals, since we have spoken, are clearly on the rise. In other words, more people are now shedding the virus in Ontario. So last week I'd been saying, well, it looks like that, uh, that's on a downswing. Not so anymore. I would advise anyone to take a look at Ontario's science table advisory, and you can see it clearly online, that not only are wastewater signals going up, but test positivity is going up. What does that mean? That means that the percentage of tests that are being done, the rather very small percentage, I might add, are now more positive than they were before. So that's concerning. Let's not exaggerate. It's not like a crazy amount, but it's enough of a signal. It should be giving us pause. And yes, kids are returning from March break after having been on vacations. And don't forget the vaccination rates for children 5 to 11 are still extremely low. The vast majority are unvaccinated and certainly have not received two doses. And we know the vaccine efficacy in that group is lower. And what are we doing simultaneously? We're loosening social restrictions. You know, think about it. We've got more people returning to work. Retail and restaurants are opened. So I ask you, does it make sense to remove masks from children who are already used to wearing them? I don't think so. All right. So for two weeks, just so we can see uh, what the possible effects of the spring break travel season has been, or do you think it should be a little longer? Do you think uh, maybe for uh, the remainder of the school year and something we can revisit come September? Well, the thing about it is it's going to see it's going to take two weeks just to see that difference in cases. We want to see if there's going to be a difference in hospitalizations and ICUs as well. You know, what the problem that Ontario is facing is that it's not just Ontario. We see that happening across Canada. If you take a look at the date that schools are dropping mask mandates, it's pretty much everywhere across Canada. It's, I can't think of a single province that's holding on to them. Well, I suppose the Northwest Territories and none of it are still doing it after that, but everyone else is dropping them. And that's sort of a populist kind of movement. And I would suggest at this point, we, you know what, that's what good science does. It takes a look at the data and says, maybe we were wrong about it. Maybe we should instead pull back on that just a little bit. Pull the nose of that plane up. All right. Uh, Meantime, uh, just announced that we're getting several reports this afternoon that COVID testing will be dropped for vaccinated travelers returning to Canada starting April 1st. So roughly a couple of weeks from now, starting uh, next month. Is the time right for this, do you think, for dropping testing requirements to return to Canada? Well, we do so at our own risk, you know, especially with the BA2 looming. You know, we hear at the same time that it's, it's expected to become 50% of the cases we're now seeing. 
So BA2 is a subvariant. There are actually four Omicron subvariants. BA1 was the original, and this is thought to be 30% more transmissible. And it can also easier escape the detection of PCR. Now, PCR can still pick it up, but it's just not as good at picking it up. The big questions around BA2 remain. Will it actually cause more hospitalizations or ICUs? So far, the signals from other countries are that it will not. So far, the signals from other countries are that, in fact, our vaccinations will continue to work against it. But it is a bit of an interesting thing to see how in the UK and in Scotland, it went from nowhere, really no cases, and in the space of three weeks became 80% of their cases. There are still big question marks around, does BA2, the so-called stealth variant, cause any more or less long COVID? Like who's even talking about long COVID with a stealth variant? We don't know that just yet. And yeah, that's and why caution makes sense. You mentioned the UK. Are we paying close enough attention to what's uh, happening there if 80% of the cases are now stealth or BA2? And they, of course, have been out in front and uh, have uh, got rid of the mask mandates and several other restrictions weeks ahead of us as we're looking at that uh, now here in Ontario and right across uh, the country. Uh, do we need to be, are we paying enough attention to what is happening uh, right now there? I think there's a widespread awareness of it. But what I worry about is not a lack of awareness. It's more a lack of agility. Let's look at the data. Let's see what's happening around us and let us learn from the lessons that they can so easily teach. That's what I worry. It's not about a lack of, you know, understanding. We've got great minds. The question is, can we be agile enough to act on what we're seeing? All right. Also wanted to ask you about a, a possible uh, fourth booster shot, because that made some headlines uh, early this week. A Pfizer C- CEO, excuse me, came out and announced that there would be likely the need uh, for a fourth shot. Uh, do you see that? Do you agree with that? Uh, is the time coming quickly that uh, we are going to need a uh, fourth uh, shot, that four doses will be considered fully vaxxed? Yes. In fact, not only are the, is, is, did the Pfizer CEO say that, They've actually submitted an application to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for emergency use authorization. He's basically saying a fourth dose should now be given to everybody over the age of 65 who'd received the booster. That's what Pfizer is saying. But what are we now doing in Canada? We're saying, whoa, 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 we're not doing that. Certainly not in Ontario. We are giving it to people in long-term care. Fourth doses are being offered to individuals who are at high risk because of immunocompromise, and I mean severe immunocompromise, or people in, in chronic care institutions. So those are the ones who are now able to get it, those who are on like biologics and have immunosuppression. That's where we're at, and I think that makes sense. If you take a look at what Israel has done, Israel has the broadest study so far. It involved over a million people. And they gave it to people over 60 with no known history of COVID. And it's interesting what they learned from it. So they gave it four to five months after individuals had received the third dose. And they were able to boost their antibody levels to to just about as high as it had been from the third dose. But it's interesting. It doesn't do any better than the third dose. You know, so it's not like you're improving immunity. You're tapping up on what's falling immunity from the third dose. 
So that's, that's what the fourth dose may do at best. Hmm. Is it ready to go to everybody? I don't think so just yet. I think at this point, we're going to have to wait and see, is it necessary based on hospitalization? So far, we don't think so. You know, we always say in journalism, consider the source. So I'm going to ask you this about the Pfizer CEO. Should we be taking medical advice or recommendations from the CEO of a drug company, or should it be coming from people such as yourself, vaccine uh, researchers that, that are looking at this? Well, what's interesting is that that data is important in informing us to, you know, because how else are we going to know? So they are looking at Israeli data. They're using broad, real-world data they're not just using their own research. They're looking at what Israel has done. So, in fact, people at the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S., are going to have to consider, is this worthy to consider for emergency use authorization? Understand, on the flip side, the United States is now approaching one million deaths. It's not just done worse than other countries. It has done spectacularly worse than other countries when it comes to the number of deaths. It's, it's really quite shocking. So they're in a slightly different position than we are. We're in the very uh, luxurious position of being able to claim more than four out of five Canadians, and I mean the total population, has been fully vaccinated. We're pushing 50%. Almost half of us have had three doses. That blows away what's happening in the United States. And never mind, you know, all the other issues around the lack of universal health care. And, you know, it's a serious problem there. So we're not exactly in the same situation. But emergency use authorization, just really quickly, it doesn't mean that studies stop. But studies are still ongoing, but they're trying to weigh out the risks that the vaccine has to the benefits that it will provide. So I, I think we're, they're doing what they can do. All right. Got to leave it there for right now. We've got to step aside and take a quick break, but more ahead with vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel running down the latest COVID headlines for us. More right after this. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink. 